3: What is up, my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. I'm really stoked for today's episode. It is a good one. Monica Berg is here, and I am so excited for you guys to hear all of the things that we dive into in this episode. So sit back, grab a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh
1: my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Hey, this is
3: Gabrielle Stone. not in good book? <laughs> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk.
1: Oh no, she didn't.
3: So, Monica is not only an international speaker, she is a spiritual thought leader, the author of Fear is Not an Option, and the book Rethink Love, and I was so excited to bring her on to FML Talk and talk with her because she really dives into some very interesting ways of thinking about and looking at and handling different kinds of relationships. So we really got into her five tips of dealing with tough relationships, different ways that you can strengthen your relationship in trying times when shit's about to hit the fan and not going super fucking well, and ways that you can tell if you're changing for the better or if you're stuck in a stagnant relationship, which is all things that I get DMs about from you guys all the time. We also talk about why jealousy can make you a better person. And I thought this was really interesting because jealousy is such a hot topic with whether it's toxic or if it's a good thing or how much of it. So we really dive into all the things. And I knew she was going to be a perfect person to bring on to FML Talk to discuss all things relationships. And I'm excited for you guys to hear some of her insights and what she has to say. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's get into it. Monica Berg, welcome to FML Talk. I am so happy that you are here with us today. I'm excited to be with you. I can't wait to dig into just all the things, but for the listeners, can you give us a little bit of background on what it is that you do and where you come from and who you are?
0: It's funny because I do a lot of different things. And I think part of that is because I'm a very curious person and I always want to be learning, to be growing, to be changing. So I'll tell you where I came from, but I think it's more important where I want to arrive to eventually or where I'm going because I don't really believe you arrive anywhere until the very, very end of mm, a person's life. I am really, I think if I had to put it in a, in a nutshell, I'm all about change. I call myself a change junkie. I really believe that when you embrace change and transformation and something really interesting happens where you start to look forward to it and you start to see the connection in everything that happens, even the most difficult parts of your life or story, um, including failures. Uh, and that really gives you kind of this perspective that you're on the right path because everything makes sense and everything. If you're really looking at life this way and living it in this way, it's lined up to create the best possible scenario for you, but you have to be in charge of directing your thoughts and navigating them and knowing who you are and knowing what you believe. So much of my work is really all about how to get to that place and how to do it. Um, Amazing. And I came from a background where uh, it wasn't a very spiritual home. Um, Certainly, my parents believed in something greater, uh, but they didn't have the answers. And I guess for me, that terrified me because I didn't really see any adults around me that were really loving their lives or had it figured out. And um, I remember feeling just very different, I think, from most. And so I was always like, why am I here? What's the point of life? Until I found Kabbalah when I was 17. And everything started to really, it was the first time I had answers to those kinds of questions.
3: Yeah. And feeling like you can finally have your footing somewhere in this crazy thing that we call life.
0: (laughs) Footing, but also um, knowing that I could find my purpose, which Mm -hmm. is a huge thing. I think that that's kind of what people always look for right some stumble across it and they get but they get really successful in one area of their lives per se and then the rest is kind of like well i guess you're only supposed to be successful in one area of your life which i don't believe i think you should be successful in all areas yes yes i love that um so let's talk about your book fear is not
3: an option because i love the title in itself i myself have had so many experiences in my life where i was faced with a lot of fear and when i decided to walk through that fear. It's when the big, amazing things have happened in my life. Um, So tell me a little bit about the book before we jump into all the fear stuff.
0: So I came, I mean, it's funny and that's what I love about what I do. Like I never intended to be an author. I never thought I was somebody who was fearless. I was probably a little reckless, uh, at the same time responsible, but not like this Person that could really say, you know, fear is not an option. And the beauty of that is, when it's no longer an option, your brain starts to look for other viable options to solving things. Um, so I came to this when I really got to a point in my life where enough had happened, and this is even after I found spirituality that I understood that the the, the fear that everybody really has is the same, and that's the fear of the unknown. So I really started to embrace the unknown. And then again, that connectedness that I talked about earlier, I looked and I went back to the first stages where I ever felt fear and what that was around. And I was just feeling like I wasn't in control. And then I realized that, well, actually, um, we are in control of the most powerful thing in our existence. And that is that we can direct our thoughts in any which way we want to go to. And once you understand that. And once you own that and then you fully live it, then you truly are fearless. Yes.
3: Yes. Um, my mom is a, a world healer and does a lot of work with retraining the brain and being oh. really conscious about your thought patterns um, in, in direct correlation to creating the life that you want. So I... I Totally. I'm in agreement with all of that. Um, And in your book, you talk about the different types of fear. Can you, can you go into a little bit about what those are?
0: Absolutely. So there's three types of fear that I've identified. Um, It's real, healthy, and illogical. So... Well, let's start with healthy, actually. So that's how it sounds. It's set up for your survival and your protection. It is there to keep you safe. So for instance, if you're hiking and you go too close to an edge of a cliff, you know, your heart will start beating. Something actually really pulls you back and says, okay, caution, that's, that's dangerous. Or even if you go too close to an open flame, Um, but even things like intuition, that gut feeling we have when something doesn't feel quite right, or as though, you know, maybe you should turn left and not go right, or maybe you shouldn't walk down that street. You should go the other way. Those kinds of things are all tapped into healthy fear. And I love this story. I think it really explains it so well. It's the story of Carol Durant from Murray, Utah, and, um, One day she was approached by a police officer. She was at a a local park and she was in the parking lot and he came over to her and he said, you know, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect. Do you come back with me to the station to identify your objects? We want to make sure that this is actually, you know, was your car. These are your things. So she got that feeling that I just explained, but something didn't feel right. So she asked to see his badge. So he said, sure. He waved a badge around. She looked at it. So she decided to go with him, but she was reluctant about it. So she got into his car and they're driving down the highway. And she notices that they're going in the opposite direction of the PlayStation. And because she was already worried and alarmed a little bit, she had had her right hand on the door handle of the door, right in the front seat. And she points out to the officer, she's like, you're going in the wrong direction. The station is the other way. So he is driving with his left hand and with his right hand, he's trying to handcuff her free hand. So this, fight, so she's able actually to jump out of the moving car. Oh he pulls God. over quickly. A fight ensues on the side of the road, and she's able to escape miraculously, right? That doesn't really happen very often. So a few days later, she's reading the paper, and she sees that on that same day... Just a few hours later, a woman was apprehended by somebody and she was raped and murdered and they caught him. And she looks at the picture and she realizes that that was the same guy that was dressed as a police officer. And that was serial killer Ted Bundy. Shut the fuck up. Yes. Oh,
3: my God. I was not expecting the twist at the end.
0: Yes. And so she's one of, I think, two people to have ever really escaped him. Um, but that is the power of having a healthy fear, which is really just to respect when your body or your psyche is warning you that there's something that you do need to be aware of or be cautious about.
3: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know that I've, I have a weird intuition. Like I always refer to it as like a secret ninja that's inside of me. Like my intuition's pretty strong. Why do you think it is that people sometimes... <laughs> And I don't want to generalize it, but I feel like more often than not, it's when we're in that like lovey-dovey phase of a maybe not so healthy relationship, decide to n- ignore that and,
0: and disregard it or try and stuff it down instead of listening to it. Well, I love this question. I like how you put it in terms of relationships. I think we do this so often. We shut down our internal alarms, alarm system because we have a desire for something. So we want it at all costs. And therefore we're like, oh, I'm not going to listen to my gut and I'm not going to listen to my best friend or I'm not going to listen to his ex. You know, I want this and I know it's going to be different for me. So when you're so sure, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're not open to anything else that's coming to you, you're really shutting off your senses and you're, you're shutting off your connection to something greater than you. I see people do this a lot and they do it a lot in relationships, you know, and, and also by the way, it goes back to fear because sometimes people are like, Oh, well, there are warning signs with this person, but I'm afraid of being alone or I've been alone for so long. This is the first person that's been interested in me since my divorce. I can't pass this up. Right. So something else is leading. And when it's something like that, you shut off the truth. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, and you're able to really believe the lies. And on some level, I think. If we're in in touch with ourselves even a little bit, we know we're not being authentic with ourselves.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I think that when everything blows up and ends up showing the person that you know you should have listened to the intuition from the beginning, it feels that much more devastating because there was something inside of us that was like, oh, this isn't this isn't fully right. Like little red flags are going off on the inside, and but I, think I think
0: that I think to your point, I think it feels more devastating because you also. Um, abandoned yourself in the yes. process, right? Yeah. So it's 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 two it's two betrayals. It's like okay, this wasn't. I have to mourn this loss of what the relationship was, but also I lost a piece of myself there because I shut that down and put somebody else before me. Yes, and that's never great either.
3: Yeah, and I think so many people feel that way, especially when they're stuck in a narcissistic dynamic relationship or. You know, when all of your friends or close people to you have been telling you, you know, like this isn't a good situation, and you've like ignored, 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 um, you really feel like you lose a piece of yourself in that relationship. And then when it ends, it's like you have to get that piece of
0: yourself back right. and and also learn to uh, trust yourself because, And that's what I always tell people too. They're like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to make the same mistake again. I'm worried I'm going to choose that same kind of abusive partner. And I I always say, well, if you're different now, and that's why it's really important to go through a process, right? Not let it just happen to you, but happen through you so that when you are in that situation again, you actually can say, okay, I trust myself to make good choices because I honor what I feel and what I think and what I desire. And that's the importance of really cultivating that relationship that you have with yourself or Or that you desire with self.
3: Absolutely. So beautiful. So spot on. Okay. So what's the second type of fear? Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals.
0: So the second type is real and it's like it sounds, it's based in reality. It's things that actually do happen like fear of death, fear of losing our loved ones, fear of getting sick. And these come up a lot for people, but also I think this can be a healthy motivator for change. So I think this is a kind of fear that I'm okay with people keeping around if they channel it correctly. So for instance, let's say somebody is afraid of losing their parents, right? And they ruminate about that idea all day, every day, and it takes away from the now, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of fully enjoying your parents, or maybe you pull away as a mechanism to protect yourself, um, to really say, okay, my parents are here now. I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to make sure the time we have together is quality. I'm going to tell them that I love them. I'm going to speak kindly to them. I'm going to appreciate them, right? Or even if somebody's fearing, an illness or getting sick, there are certain things we can do now, right? We can make sure that we're active and that we avoid um, excessive alcohol or sugar, or there's a way that you can actually make choices to have the odds be more in your favor. So let this real kind of fear be a motivator for change in a positive way.
3: Okay. It's so interesting that that's the example that you gave. So I guess I, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but let's let's get into it. Um so my mother and I are very very close. Um I lost my dad when I was 6 years old pretty traumatically like walked in and found him dead on the floor and my you mom found and him I by yourself you were he, alone. I well I, my nanny was there. My mom was across the country, uh, the world in New Zealand shooting and it was it was a pretty you know, traumatic experience for a six-year-old to go through. And since then, I've had fear of abandonment, afraid to be alone. Um, But I've always had this fear of kind of death in the back of my mind, especially when it's related to my mom or someone I'm really close to. So I'm aware of it. I know that it exists. um, But I've done a lot of healing on my own to, you know, adjust the abandonment fear, if you will. And recently my mom and I got into a discussion and she was like, you know, we're so close and we're, we're each other's best friends. But I feel like sometimes when you, you know, come over to my house or that we're, when we're together, you're kind of, you have this like wall up almost. And it's like, you you don't hug me as tight as you could. And, you know, you feel a little distant sometimes. She's like, it's not there when we talk on the phone ever, but like when we're in person. Mm, so and, interesting. Yeah. And I said to her, I was like, I mean, I don't ever want her to feel like that, obviously. But if I get really quiet and really honest with myself, like I've been scared she's going to die from the time I was a little girl. Um, I remember when she was the age that my dad was, when he died, I like felt like I was holding my breath the whole year. Cause I was like, if it's going to happen, it's going to be this year. Um, and you know, she, she's so healthy for her age and vibrant and I, it's not a logical fear, but it's definitely there. And I can notice now, especially after her pointing that out, that it's been affecting me In in some weird way, like I've put this wall up almost to where if I let myself fully, fully go there, then I won't be safe and my heart will be broken because something will happen.
0: And also, you feel like okay, well, it will be easier if you hold parts of yourself back now when that day comes. So all of that isn't a lie; it's all an illusion. It's a lie you told yourself to survive when you were younger. And I understand that at seven, eight, nine, ten. I understand that until your mom turned the age your father was, I understand even on some level now, but I really encourage you to force yourself to do the opposite, like hold her tight. Because, you know, I lost my father almost seven months ago and and my mother-in-law, who was like a second mother to me um, over a year ago, and... I have no regrets with those relationships because Mm -hmm. I lived fully. I loved fully. I showed them and I expressed it. And I don't want you to feel regret later of like, oh, if I could just hug her one more time and clearly she's craving that from you. Right. So I would just like dive in and force myself and, and tell your logical mind, like, this is not going to change how I'll feel when that day comes or not, but I want to be fully fully present with herself and myself when we're together. Because right. you, I promise you, you'll look back and you'll be like, I'm so happy I switched that. There, are, There's nothing I would have done differently, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, and I don't think it's been an intentional thing. No, you for know, sure be- not. Because we're so, so close. I've always said my whole life, like, I hope I'm married with kids when my mom goes because I don't know if I'll survive it otherwise. <laughs> um, and so I think that even just having the realization of it has been a big shift for me. Like we we had dinner last night and I I made an effort to like adjust those things now that I'm aware of them. So it's so interesting that you brought that specific example (laughs) up for that type of fear.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. And by the way, you know, when you do have kids and I remember when because I have four um the first two are boys and then when I had my daughter, something really interesting happened when she turned the ages, that specific, more traumatic things that happened to me, memories came back that I had not even, I didn't have access to for whatever reason. It didn't happen with the boys, but I guess I saw her and I saw myself at that age. And so it'll be an interesting thing. I think that comes up for you, you know, because those things don't, it's not going to just be with your mother. If, If you don't, and this is what we teach Kabbalistically. If you don't, it's called Tikkun. If you don't actually get to the other side of it, it shows its way in other relationships because it's something for you to overcome ultimately. Oh, totally.
3: And I see that in my relationship with my boyfriend who's 15 years older than me. And I immediately am like, I'm going to be in the same relationship that my mom is. We'll have a kid and then she'll turn seven and he'll die because he's older. Like It's so not logical, but it's definitely
0: there. (laughs) Which takes me to the third fear, which is illogical fear. And this is the fear... To your point just now, it's what keeps us stuck and paralyzed and completely feeling frantic. You know, it's that feeling that your heart beating, the world's ending kind of fear. And it can be things just fear of heights, fear of spiders, fear of elevators, fear of public speaking, fear of rejection, um, fear of failure. And these are the things that stop us from really living our lives and living our dreams. Like imagine if your dream was... If your fear was so so powerful, it's had such a hold on you that you wouldn't even allow yourself to get married or have kids for fear of that, right? Right. Um, and, and this is the fear that absolutely has no place in our lives. And interestingly enough, it's the one that occupies most of our brains most of the time. Like ninety eight percent of our fears fall under illogical. So, what I started to do is that any time. I even now detect even a small fear. I'm like, oh, no, I'll go all the way. I'll force myself to do the extreme, extreme part of it. Because to, to, so, to, if not, you go through life and you just collect more and more fears, right? Because right. we come into the world fearless. We're not afraid to learn to walk. We know we're going to fall, learn to ride a bike, skin your knee. You know, you expect the blood, sweat, tears. It's, it's an understanding part of development and growth. But in reality, we're supposed to develop and grow our entire lives until we, in fact, die ourselves. But people think when they hit a certain age, like 40, usually 45, it's like, okay, you know, I achieved what I was spent to. I have this, I have that. Like now I'm just going to live. You're supposed to keep growing and transforming. And so you're supposed to have those growing pains. You know, if not, you really collect fear after fear, after fear. And the next thing you know, you feel really weighted, you feel really heavy and you feel really stuck. And we know it to different degrees. Some people are very aware of it, and some people don't even realize what a hold it has on them,
3: yeah, and those are the fears that really keep you from the growth and the healing that you could be doing those those fears that when you walk through them are so life- changing. So okay, let's list them again just to to review. Um, give me the three
0: healthy, healthy, real, real. And-
3: illogical illogical okay so for everybody listening i want to give you some of my fears and have you kind of categorize them so we can like show them some examples of what fears look like in their life and where would where you would place them okay so let's start with um i guess kind of like my main story of my life that my book is written about i was married and then got divorced right after that fell into this like wild love affair. And he had convinced me to join him on a month long trip to Italy. 48 hours before we were getting on the plane, he told me he had to go by himself and broke up with me. So it was like instant fear of abandonment triggered. Um, And I was like, well, I'm going to go by myself and I'm going to get on a plane and go solo travel for the month. And that was so far out of my comfort zone. And people are always like, how did you not just cripple with the fear? And I always say I was totally terrified. I knew nothing about what I was doing. I had no plans in place, but something in me was like, if you don't go, it's going to be worse. Like you have to go and you're going to heal some shit. So what would you classify that fear
0: as? Well, what is the fear though? Because you seemed to what were you afraid of? It seems like you...
3: I guess it was the fear of being alone and not being okay, like being by myself.
0: Right. So I would I would classify that as an illogical fear because um, why would you be alone? I mean, this is the thing. If you flip that thought, right? I believe that everybody is destined for greatness. And our job really is to find a way to connect to that greatness and reveal it. So on some level, you obviously knew that even if it hadn't come fully to you, that there was something greater out there for you and that this Mm -hmm. was just part of the process. If you had taken that fear seriously, like, oh, see, um, this is proof that I'm unlovable, let's say, right? I got divorced, there's a second relationship, and now 48 hours before this is what he does. If you took that seriously, you would have let that illogical fear of, you know, nobody loves me. I'm being abandoned again. It happened with my father. Like you, could, you could have made a whole narrative out of this and yeah. then taken that seriously. But instead, you decided not to. So that would go under illogical fears. Um, but you did recognize it and you, you rose above it, which is amazing.
3: And it totally changed my life. And it makes sense looking back on it, how illogical it was, because one of the greatest things I learned on that trip was that you're never really alone. You're always protected. How freaking capable you are by yourself. Um, and it, looking back on the fear that I had going into the trip, like, am I going to be okay? Is everything going to be fine? It, it was so small in comparison to what I got from the trip. You know what I mean? Like it far outweighed the fear.
0: Exactly. And by the way, uh, I think that's the point too. And most people are like, oh, you know, it's always outside of them, right? Will I be alone? So I don't want to be learning to find somebody Mm -hmm. where really you knew it was about finding yourself. Right. And, you know, that's where it starts and that's where it ends, right? We come into the world alone, we leave alone. Yep. Um, So I think that's really powerful. Thank
3: you. Um, So what about the fear of abandonment? From when I was a little girl and, you know, if someone dies in your life and then you have a fear that other people are going to die. And I'm talking, I can probably answer this myself that it's illogical, but I do know (laughs) that a lot of people listening, because we've talked about it in our our book club sessions, that I, I again, lost um, my high school sweetheart when I was 18 in a car accident. and. He was leaving a party and texted me and said, I will, I'll call you when I get home and then never called. And so now I have this thing where if someone doesn't answer a message or tell me, you know, that they made it home safe, I immediately think they're dead. And it will spiral very, very quickly to like all of this ridiculous shit that I know is in my head. Um, But I know a lot of people also do this kind of crazy. Jumping to conclusions, things because of a trauma
0: when they were younger, so that would I'm assuming be under illogical <laughs> yes, it would, but i I think you're so interesting, and in that it's not just that you've lost people that were everything to you at the time, it's that you were somehow a very specific part of them leaving, right, mm-hmm. like you found your father, right. Your boyfriend texted you right before he died. Like, I, I think that's so interesting. Mm. And I think that is I really do believe in this. I don't believe in suffering. I don't believe we're um, meant to be punished. I think that you've got a great thing to offer. I think that that happened to you because you are meant to um, to understand there's something great in you that like these people loved you so much. You were part of their exit. And I know it's a different way of seeing things, but I truly do believe that. So no, that's
3: really beautiful, actually. And I've never heard that. So thank you for that. That's a, that's a gift for me to hear.
0: Yeah. And I think if you look at it that way, there's nothing to fear. You should say, wow, I feel so blessed to have been loved so fiercely and to have been able to experience love and receive love from these people who they just finished their job here in the world. They weren't meant to be in this physical world anymore. Yeah. But How great is it that I got to experience that? If you look at things that way, then clearly, right? whatever happens to you for the rest of your life, this this fear, there's no place for it because now you see purpose and meaning and even something tragic that happened. Um, so the fear is for sure illogical. and uh, And honestly, if you feed the fear, it's just, it could stop you from experiencing love so beautifully and deeply again.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recognize that and have worked through some of that. Wow, what a beautiful perspective to have on that. Thank you so much for that that's really that's That's a gift to have um, What about and this isn't for me in particular, but I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are sometimes stuck in um, either an abusive or narcissistic or any type of relationship and they feel like they can't leave. And it's always, well, I have no money. What about the kids? Where am I going to go? How is it going to play out in my life? So where would you classify that fear of like fear of leaving when you know, it's going to be the best thing for you?
0: Illogical. These are all illogical. This is what I'm saying. That's what I love about dividing fears in this way, because all of them for the most part, usually fall under illogical. Right. So I understand that for a person who's been financially dependent on a partner, it's terrifying to go out and to, to figure out how to do it, right? Yourself. Um. And, and it will be hard and it will be scary and it will be a learning curve, but it is possible. And on the other side of that, you will find yourself and you will find a better life. Yeah. For somebody who's worried about their kids, what are the kids experiencing? What are they seeing? What does life look for, like for them? And what are you role modeling for them, right? They're, that's going to backfire too. So it, it really is just, it's it's so, that again, that fear of the unknown. I don't know how this is going to turn out. So better the devil, you know, than the one you don't. And that's why right. people stay and they settle and they get stuck. And then until one day, right, usually it becomes so unbearable, people eventually leave. And at that point, they don't even care enough about their own lives to do something about it for the better. They're kind of just surviving. And I just don't, I know we're not meant to live life in that way. Yeah.
1: I
3: always say like, you have to choose you and put your happiness and yourself first, and then everything else will somehow work itself out. The universe will have your back and it'll all fall into place. But if you're settling or stuck in a relationship like that, you're telling the universe, like, this is fine. This is okay for me. This is what I deserve. And you're never going to get something better than that if you don't change the narrative of your own life that you want to move forward to
0: a thousand percent people, you know, the mantra of somebody who is settling in life is, you know, it isn't great, but it's good enough. And you can apply that to a job, you can apply that to your relationship. You can apply that to where you live and you can live like that for the rest of your life, but it's going to be a low level kind of happiness. It's living in the world of like ups and downs. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. I just don't believe in that. And I think that's the first place to start. You have to be able to see what you believe and challenge those beliefs. Make sure they're your own, you know, did you adopt them because that's what you saw growing up or that's what somebody told you to deserve, or, you know, really it's, it's, I think everybody has to do this honest kind of evaluation over and over again every year. I mean, I do it every day, but, um, to make sure you're living the way that you want to.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like we've covered fear in a pretty comprehensive way. Talk to me about your other book, Rethink Love.
0: So that is, um, I, I call it also the Bible of love. I think I've written everything there is to write about, uh, mm-hmm. that I wanted to say about love. It's written in three parts. The first is me. It's, um, some of what we discussed already about the relationship you have with yourself. I've devoted eight chapters to that. It's really, I mean, if you had met me when I was 17, 18, I mean, I think there was some moxie you would have recognized hidden though, under a very shy people pleaser, um, amenable kind of person who had a lot of shame and wanting that's who I was and to the person I am today which is like unrecognizable we're two really different people my soul of course my core is the same but um just different and uh so it's really helping people get to that place right of removing guilt and blame and shame Mm -hmm. and learning to be able to hear your voice and to honor it and to be authentic and to live authentically Um, the second part is going from me to we, so that's once you're kind of in a relationship, you're dating, it's how not to lose yourself while you now are entering somebody else's world, right? It's very easy to do that, especially when, you know, we're at the beginning and our, our, um, serotonin love, everything is so heightened and it's like this euphoric stage of the relationship. Yeah. And then the third part is we, and that's how to successfully navigate a relationship, um, how to fight spiritually, which I think is super important to fight in a relationship. Um, how to have appreciation and keep it because that's one of the first things that we lose Mm -hmm. in relationships. And when, and when appreciation's lost, the love is lost. Um, and so many other tips. So it really, and it has, uh, journals, you know, the questions throughout and an accompanying workbook. So people really can work through it and do the work while they're reading it. Because I really believe, uh, Thought followed by immediate action is the formula for success.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to go back to what you said: spite, uh, fight spiritually. I've never heard this term before. So, what do you mean by that?
0: So, I think that some people think that if they they meet, you know, their soulmate or the one they're supposed to be with, it's going to be easy and effortless and no problems. And it's really not like that. Okay, it's not going to be. Um, and by fighting, I mean that you are passionate enough and you care enough about the relationship to have discussions that are uncomfortable. Right. And for that to happen, there needs to be a vulnerability, right? So it's coming together. And of course, uh, emotional intelligence is brought in earlier in the book as well, that you really know each other. You know their history before you were in the picture. You know where they want to go 10 years from now. And you are working together, kind of creating that. Um, it can be different dreams, but but going aligned side by side. So I think that people in relationships, usually we adopt the style we saw growing up and fighting. Some people are yellers, some are the silent type. And if you are different types and you come into a relationship and you you don't pick a style that works for both of you, you can see how the fighting is going to escalate and it's not going to be very productive. So it talks about that. And, And one of the main premises of that is how to recognize ego and making sure you remove it from the relationship, but especially when you're fighting.
3: Yeah. I think if people could, because you're right, any relationship dynamic is going to have disagreements. You're going to have fights. Like people that say they absolutely never fight are full of shit. Um, Even my guy and I, who people that are listening know pretty well now from reading the second book, we, we do fight. I mean, it's rare. It's few and far between, but when we do, it's not great.
0: (laughs) But I'm sure that if you, I'm sure that you walk away after feeling closer or feeling like you've yes. each other in a different way. Um, I, 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 it's, it's such an important, healthy part of a relationship. You know, my kids, they had a friend growing up. Um, and one day after 20 years, the parents were getting divorced. And both my kids, because they had a brother and sister that they were close to, um, so two of the kids... Were uh, they came home like we don't understand, you know, we've never seen them fight ever, ever. And and the kids were shocked because they never saw them fight. I was like, yeah, because they stopped caring a long time ago, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not an indication that everything's great.
3: Right, right. And I feel like if people could figure out a way to fight and fight fairly with their partner and make sure that everybody was being respected the whole time, it would be a lot easier to make it through those difficult, rough patches.
0: Yes. 1000%. And not just through it, but um, to come to the other side where you actually love and appreciate each other more.
3: Yeah. And, and grow, grow from closer. it. Yeah. We've gotten into fights where we come out the other end and we're like, oh, that's actually really good that that took place because now we're either closer or I understand this about you that I didn't before. And it, it really can help you grow as a couple. In any relationship dynamic, my mom and I have experienced that. Um, My friends and I have experienced that. So I think it's with any relationship dynamic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give me your tips for dealing with tough relationships, because I know we all have (laughs) those in our lives at some point.
0: I think that you want to be able to, um, again, take a deep dive in the relationship and really be honest with yourself about the state of it uh too often people are afraid to do that because they're not prepared to do what's next which would either be having the hard conversations or leaving right so um i think that's super important um i think that it's also and this goes back to ego but to realize that there's always something to be learned and it's not that your partner needs to learn to be a better partner Um, but also what could you learn about how to give love and how to receive love? I think people Mm. are, you know, we all think we're better at it than we are at first. Um, I talk about this in, uh, in my book that in the book outliers, right? It says to be good at anything takes practice. And in fact, it's 10,000 hours of practice, which equates to 10 years. And I think it's so funny that when people first get married, they're like, I don't understand. You know, sometimes it's rocky that first year. First of am not for all. Yeah. Um, but they say things like, you know, I'm a great wife. I'm a great husband. And I'm like, uh, you couldn't possibly be because you've been married for six months. And how many hours have you actually put in? So right. I think it's really important to be able, again, that requires, and that's why I think spirituality is a really important component in the relationship because you have to be able to recognize when it's your ego, right? Because the ego wants to win at all costs or when it's really something that's true and that's necessary that you actually um, keep talking about it to get your point across uh, with the person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think also it's important to be true to yourself. We talked about this briefly, but people often lose themselves and and the relationship. And I think it happens more to people who never really found themselves to begin with. Mm. Um,
3: yeah, I agree with that. I, I think there's some shift that I know I experienced when I finally like figured out the mythical self-love, you know, idea and really put that into practice and found wholeheartedly who I was that's never wavered now moving forward. And I can look back on my my younger years and different relationships and see where it really did. And it was because I wasn't Fully
0: sure of myself in that. And sense. by the way, imagine how confusing that is to the person you're with. Because right? You're like, you know, this is not who you were six months ago. We're hiding parts of ourselves, right? We're afraid to fully be authentic. And then when they discover that, then and vice versa, right? You're like, okay, well, we're not really happy together because we didn't really show, we didn't arrive fully, yeah. as as we are. It doesn't mean we don't want to change aspects of ourselves, but it, but we know the parts of ourselves that we want to keep. And we're not afraid to show them. I, I think it's super important. I don't understand when, you know, a lot of people ask me this, like, well, how, how transparent do I need to be with my partner? Like in a big relationship, I'm like, what's the question? Do you, first of all, if you start lying now, you're going to forget what you lied about. You'll get caught yeah. eventually. It's exhausting. <laughs> and second of all, um, you know, this is, this is not going to end well for you. You know, it, it, they're going to see you at some point eventually. And you want to see each other fully now. So you go in with open eyes and you know what you're getting into.
3: Yeah, because how exhausting is that to keep up that charade for X amount of months or a year and then have the person be ultimately disappointed in you down the road when you could have just relaxed and been authentic and honest. Like those are the best relationships to me where you don't have to put on any type of anything. You know, that's why I love solo travel so much because when you meet people traveling, it's such a minimized time that they don't have care or time to put the layer of bullshit up that, you know, people do when they're first meeting someone and getting to know someone. And it's so refreshing. I love
0: that. Yeah.
3: What about three ways to strengthen your
0: relationships during trying times? I think it's in finding opportunities in the obstacle. Um, We can look at the disappointment or dissatisfaction. And again, you know, look at the person or we can stop and say, okay, there is an opportunity here. And you have to really be honest. Like I talk about this in my book about cherished illusions. We all have them, right? And we're not really aware of them. Um, And at some point, at some point, I don't know when for everybody, the illusion shatters and then you're left with all the broken pieces, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you mine, when I got married, my illusion was that because my husband's like was always spiritual he grew up in a spiritual home he was raised that way so I and even though I was already on the path um I really thought on some level and again I didn't have access to that thought at first but I thought that when we get married I'll be somehow elevated to a higher spiritual plane just by being married right <laughs> um and to my shock now I needed to do even more work of my right right, <laughs> right? now my illusion wasn't dangerous because I didn't have an illusion about who he was or who I was, but who Mm -hmm. I would be in the marriage. Right. So when that illusion shattered, I was like, I could adjust that and work on that and change it. But for other people who have an illusion about, you know, it's going to take me to a happier place or I'll have the white picket fence or I'll be important now. What happens when those pieces break down? Right. Um, So I think it's important to see everything, right? Every obstacle, every challenge, see it for what it is. Don't be afraid of it. Don't see it as a sign of that's it. We're going to get divorced, but really be able to look at it and not be afraid of that. Um, And I think also what strengthens our relationship is if we practice and we practice and we practice. You know, it's not just about... And we do this with other things in our lives. Like we work really hard for our jobs. we really, we'll go, we'll work extra hours. We'll do all kinds of things to get promotions, et cetera. But with relationships, we take them for granted. And so we stop putting that effort in. We might have date night once a week, uh, whatever that looks like. It's not enough. It's really about checking in with each other many times a day. It's about caring enough for them as you would yourself and really making sure you're part of every aspect of each other's lives when it's important, um so it's really being aware that I need to practice being a better partner. Yeah. And and not just, you know, assume that I am.
3: Yeah. And it's it's it needs to be happening on both ends because when someone's in a relationship and one person's doing that and and putting in the effort in that sense and it's not being reciprocated, like it has to be on both sides to to have that really work,
0: I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, And, um, and then I would say that the third one is to look back with kindness, you know, even when we do fight or we disappoint, um, it's kind of the same way I tell people to look at failure, right? It's one step closer to being successful. Mm -hmm. So with every argument, as long as you, but you have to be able to repair it, right? You have to be able to work through it. It doesn't have to be in the moment. It could be three days later, but to keep, again, putting that effort in and to really do it with kindness, again, removing the ego and looking at the person, remembering what you love about them and also where you want to go with them as a couple ultimately.
3: Yeah. Because otherwise you're just sitting in resentment and negativity. So I think that's such an important thing that after, especially after a fight or an argument to look back and, you know, realize how you grew from it and the steps you now want to take moving forward.
0: Or what you want to do differently next time. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You talk about your book also. Um, the different ways that jealousy can be beneficial. And I want to dig into this because I think so many times people have a negative connotation with that word. Um, so I'm interested to hear your well, take what is on it's that.
0: The, it's the green eyed monster, right? Right. <clears throat> so nobody wants to be referred to like that. Um, <laughs> I, th- I do think jealousy is interesting. Um, and I'm really happy. I'm not, I don't have, I'm not, I don't have that emotion. I don't know if I ever really did, but I think that if... I think it's it's a great actually illuminating emotion to have. It depends what you do with it, right? Mm. So I think for one, it can reveal what's important to you. So if that feeling comes up, instead of saying, oh my God, I wish I was that person you stop and say, okay, what is it about that person that's making me feel something, right? So it's actually a way to show you what you really desire. Maybe you didn't have access to that before, Right. right? So feeling that could be kind of like, oh, you know, maybe this is something I want to work on. But again, the key here is that you have to be able to take responsibility for your life and not make it about another person. Again, I think it goes back to knowing yourself enough, believing in yourself, loving yourself enough. Those first eight chapters, again, And when you are a friend to yourself, then of course you can transform jealousy into um, inspiration.
3: Yeah. And what Uh, about jealousy from a partner? Like if you're experiencing your significant other being jealous about something that you're doing, how is that seen in a healthy light? To an extent, obviously there's like cases where you're like, this is not healthy.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, again, it depends what they do with it. If they're jealous... Um, I think you can ask them, you know, what is it that is, you're not feeling secure about in our relationship that you're feeling this way, right? I think mm-hmm. those are kinds of healthy conversations you can have. But if it's something that repeatedly comes over and over again, I think there's a bigger issue there. I don't yeah. think that that should exist in healthy relationships between people who are very intimate with each other. Yeah, I really, I agree. I really
3: don't. And I think so it's telling either way. It's telling if it's if it's a little bit and you can then say, okay, what is this that I'm Wanting or need to like adjust or change. And then it's telling in the sense of this is unhealthy and something's off because I shouldn't be feeling this way or he shouldn't, he or she shouldn't be feeling this way.
0: Right. Because if it's healthy, you could say, okay, well, what, where is this coming from? You know, does something happen to you in your past or in right. your childhood or a past relationship? What is something about my behavior that's reminding you of that? Because you should know me well enough that I would never do that to you, right? It's going to tell you exactly where your relationship stands and where you stand with one another and where the work is, right? So yeah. I think, and I talk about this a lot, I think people take their emotions too seriously, Um, but I think emotions are very, very important because they're indicators, right? Mm So the emotion is indicating something that is happening on a deeper level. It's, it's a, it's a primary emotion. It's the, it's what you have access to, right? Like sadness, anger, jealousy. These are all indicators. And then if you stop and say, okay, I know I'm not a jealous person, but what is it that is the deeper underlying issue? And it's, it's kind of a way to like, it's like shining a flashlight on an aspect that you wouldn't have access to otherwise.
3: Yeah, I think that's so spot on. And it also gives, it illuminates what triggers you have as a person and what things from your past are still unhealed and need some more attention and what your partner needs to be conscious about in, in the future.
0: And this is the way you become emotionally intelligent as a couple, right? Is having these kinds of conversations.
3: Yes. Yes. And that's what everyone should be striving to do because having emotional intelligence as a couple is the, in my opinion, the best way to have a successful relationship together.
0: For sure. Um, I think jealousy can also inspire you to take action. Again, it's what you do with it, but you could say, okay, well, what is that person doing that I might want to mirror, you know? What is it that I can do today that could get me one step closer to that thing that I desire? So again, all of these things, I mean, really, that is the point of life. Everything, especially things that feel not great for us, are there to wake us up and show us there's something here for you. Be curious about it. Unpack it. Don't be afraid to go after it.
3: Yes. I love that. Oh my God. Such good stuff in this episode. So on that note, can you tell everybody where they can find both of your books, Fear is Not an Option and Rethink Love and where they can follow you on social media, all the things.
0: So you can get my books on Amazon. You can follow me at Monica D 74 on social media. My blog is rethinklife.today. And my husband and I have a podcast called Spiritually Hungry.
3: Oh, is- I love that. What a great title.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It's awesome.
3: Fun. Awesome. Monica, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such an enlightening episode. And for that awesome gift of a perspective that you gave me that yeah. that really was was worth the whole whole interview for me. So thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Monica so much for coming on and chatting with me. If you guys want to check out her books that we were talking about, they are called fear is not an option and rethink love. Now let's take a turn and get into some of your FML stories. Here we go.
1: Hey, Gabrielle. Okay, so here's my FML story. It's taken me a while to have the courage to share this, but I met my current almost ex-husband in 2016. After 11 months of long distance, we moved in together. I moved to him so that he had his family close Almost as soon as we moved in together, the quote-unquote dating stopped and he never wanted to do anything outside of the house. That should have been my first red flag, but it wasn't. I tried to change myself for him, but I guess it didn't work when we separated about five months after moving in together— But I was stuck living with him still because I didn't have anywhere else to go at the time. Fast forward about two and a half months and my grandmother, who was like a second mom to me, passed away suddenly. At that time, I looked at his actions as sweet and loving because he told me he never wanted me to go through anything like that again alone. But now I can see that he was just capitalizing on my vulnerable state. And then we got back together. By December of that same year, 2018, I was starting to have second thoughts, but then we went on a trip and he proposed publicly, which was something I never wanted to do. So I felt a sort of obligation to say yes. Fast forward to May of 2019 and we were getting married. I was sure that I could make things work, but I became more of a roommate or a mom or cleaning lady than a wife. And to make things worse, his mom is always enabling and is always making some kind of excuses after his actions. Even before we got married, we didn't sleep in the same bed, let alone the same room, so sex was non-existent. The whole two years we've been married, I think we had sex maybe three times at most. Fast forward to now, and we have been living in separate towns for eight months, haven't had sex in probably about a year and a half, and now he's pulling petty shit just to drag out the divorce in true narcissistic fashion. I have never wanted something... Done and over with more than I've wanted the papers signed so I can get my last name back. And that is my FML story.
3: Damn girl, it's always, uh a bitch when you're driving down the track and seeing all the red flags and they're still not registering because we never see them when we're in it. Um, I also feel like oftentimes we bury that little intuitive voice that's inside of us that's screaming like, this is probably not a good idea, but we're like, no, I can make it work. I'll figure it out. It'll be fine. We'll go to therapy. Um, And then you end up having sex only three times in the year that you're married um, I am wishing you strength during this crazy divorce process. I know how much it fucking sucks and, um, hang in there, girl. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Here's story number two.
2: Hi, Gabrielle. My name is Olivia, and this is a story about how my ex-boyfriend cheated on me multiple different times with multiple different women. So we started um, talking over a dating app back in March of 2020. Uh, We were pretty serious for about three months, met his family, met his daughter, everything was going great, Um, but he wasn't asking me out. So I made the initiative to ask him. So I did, first red flag. Um, Prior to this, we had No intimacy issues whatsoever, Um, but after we started officially dating, it kind of just turned off like a light switch. I would continue to pursue him. He would not pursue me. Strange, but I was like, okay. Um, In September, he decided that he wanted to buy a house, so he asked me to move in. We closed in October. We moved in in November. Two weeks after moving in, um, I got furloughed from my job. So he told me that I could use his iPad for my unemployment. His phone was synced. (laughs) Um, First mistake. Uh, There was about, there was something telling me, you know, go through the messages. So I did. Prior to this, I never even thought to look through his phone. It never even occurred to me that he would cheat on me because he just didn't seem like that type of person. Um, I found about 20 to 30 messages um, between girls on his phone, um, his iPad, uh, and it was sexting. It was confirmation that he was physically having sex with these girls, just a, like a lot. Um, so confronted him. He denied it. Uh, he told me he won't do it again, you know, etc. So I decided to stay. So one month later, um, something was telling me it's happening again. You better look. So I did, and I found messages, and he told me that this time it wasn't anything physical, and it was only sexting, so I have nothing to worry about. So I stayed. Now, prior to this, we've had sex a total of six or seven times from June until January. Um, Background on me, I am very sexually active. I would try every single day with him and I would just get pushed away. So I definitely know that it wasn't me because I made an effort to be intimate with this guy and he just didn't want me, he wanted them. Uh, So after that, I would go through his phone, his watch, his iPad, almost daily to find anything. And I didn't um, until April. And then in April, I went through his deleted photos and there was a screenshot of a sexting message. So I confronted him and of course he knew he did it again. And at that point I was done. So um, it was a messaging app message. So what he would do would download this messaging app before he would leave for work at night and then delete it before I would come home. That way I would never see what he was doing because he was just getting smarter and smarter and smarter. So at this point, I decided that aside from his family that I loved and his friends and his daughter that I all loved in this house that we you know, were making a home that I had to pick up and leave and take care of myself. And that is what I did. So um, I think what helped me get through this is knowing that there are so many other people in this world that are going through the same thing as me, and I'm not the only one. And I have to find my self-worth and leaving and picking up helped me so much. And I just, I'm so grateful for your book and all of these other stories and people that's helped, you know, everyone get through something like this. And that is my story in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot more detail, obviously, but yeah, that's it.
3: Oh, Olivia. Girl, first of all, you are so not alone. Um, there are so many of us that go through this. And although when I was listening to that story, I was like, why did you stay? Why did you stay again? Um, I get it. When you're in it, we convince ourselves of all sorts of crazy fucked up shit. Um, And like, the work it takes to like download the shit and do it when you're out of the house and then delete it when you come back it's like who has the fucking time i just never understand it like just leave the relationship and also why are you gonna buy a house with someone and you know like put down roots if you're just gonna fucking cheat just makes no sense to me whatsoever um so i'm proud of you for finally demanding your worth and leaving so more power to you girl Next week, everybody, it is officially our final episode of season two, which is fucking mind blowing to me that we have been with each other for two seasons now. I cannot wait for you guys to see. What we have coming up for you in season three, we are officially going visual, we will be on YouTube. So if you want to watch the episodes, you have the option to do that. And we have some really, really incredible people coming on to share their stories. But to close out season two, We are finishing up with a solo episode, just you and me, y'all, and it's all around judgment. It's a good one. As always, make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. We are going to be doing some more fun giveaways, so make sure you are connected with us on there to win some of the cool shit we are giving away. If you are in need of more bonus content, then you should be hanging out with us on the subscription site. You can get there at patreon.com slash FML talk. There are two full seasons available of mini bonus episodes. The first is FML's guide to relationships where we dig into all all the different aspects of being single, finding your power, the dating world, relationships, marriage, divorce. And season two, which is just wrapping up, is Tea Time with Tay. So for those of you that are reading The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl, you will get to know Tyler very, very well. That has been a really amazing season to do with him and get a really incredible male's perspective on so many of the things that we dig into on this show. And season three of the minis is definitely going to be the best yet. It is the director's cut, author's cut, (laughs) all of the behind the scenes of book two. So all the stories that I had to take out, everything that got left on the cutting room floor and the process of getting everyone's permission and real life stories that I just can't talk about on the podcast. So that is the place to be. You also get access to the private Facebook group, which is a whole awesome club all in itself and 10% off your merch. I will see you next week for our final episode of season two, and until then, have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers, guys.
0: Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and, well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.